Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. I've got a message that I'm really excited about. Of course, I say that every time I get up here, and anybody that has ever sat in any of my classes or heard me preach before, they'll say, this is my favorite piece of scripture. Well, this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture that I'm going to pre preach in from. So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, Pastor John has been preaching these last several weeks on discipleship. He's been preaching about the importance of discipleship and actually the mandate. I mean, we are called to disciple. It's, it's a mission that we're given. Remember the, the Great Commission? We're to go out to all the world and do what? Make disciples, right? And, and, and when he, he approached, the, he, you know, and Jesus made his disciples fishers of men. We are called to be disciple makers. We are called to bring those younger in the faith alongside us and build them up and make them stronger in the faith. We're called to be disciplers. But you know what? We're also called to be disciples. So I'm going to talk about this from a little different angle today. John's been talking about what, what the responsibilities of the mentor are and what it's like to disciple and what our responsibilities are to those that are younger in the faith. How we're to bring them up and to make disciples. And what is a disciple? Is it somebody that just understands and has accepted the gospel? No, a disciple is someone who's studying, is growing, is, is moving closer to Christ, is becoming more like Christ, who's in the Word. So it's our responsibility to be disciple-ers, to be disciple-makers. But it's also our responsibility to be disciples. Each and every one of us is in this road of sanctification, aren't we? Each and every one of us is growing and progressing. And no matter how mature you are in the faith, there's always something more. There's always something that else that God would have you know. And he will bring people into your life that can speak into those areas. So not only are we to be disciplers, we're to be disciples. So I want to talk to you this morning about the, the roles and responsibilities of the disciple. And we're going to use Paul and Timothy as the classic example of the, of the disciple maker and the disciple. So that's why we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about what 2 Timothy is. 2 Timothy has been called the passing the torch letter. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And I'll, bring it, I'll really bring it home to you why Paul was writing the letter of 2 Timothy. But it's called passing the torch. If you look around the congregation today, if you look around Victory Church, what do you see? You look at the leadership, what do you see? You see a bunch of old gray-haired guys, right? Okay. I mean, we're all about pretty much the same age. I, I'm, Eldon is, has got us, but other than that, we're all, we're all in their 50s. We're all, you know, we're getting there, all right? El, Eldon's our senior, our, our senior disciple maker, but, but we're getting older. And 
like the commercial says, this is the age of getting things done. Okay, well, it is the age of getting things done. This is the age where you should be mature in your faith. This is the age when you should be, be clear in your doctrine. This is the time when you've had the experience, you've had the world experience, and you can pass these experiences and this, this education that the world has brought to you and, and God has brought to you through, the, through what he's taken you through and from the people he's brought into your life. This is the time in my age when I should be passing that on to you. But I have to be thinking about this. I don't have no idea how much time I've got left. None of us do. I have to be cognizant of the fact that the torch must be passed, that there's a younger generation that's coming up behind us. So I have to be, cogn I have to be intentional about passing what I know and what the Lord has shown me on to Chris and to Sean and to Jared and all you young people. You're the next generation. You're the leadership of the future. And it's my responsibility to prepare you to take on that role. And I take that very seriously. We try very, very hard here to provide discipleship opportunities. We have classes. We have the Victory Bible Institute. We have small group studies. We have men's studies. We're very, very aware of the need to pass that torch on to the next generation. But what I need to talk to you about today is those of you that are going to be receiving that torch. What's your responsibility? And what is your role in this? So that's what we're going to talk about. Let me pray for this just a little bit because I'm really excited. I'm ready to go, but I want to make sure that this is coming from God and not from me. Dear Lord, we thank you for giving me this opportunity to teach this message. I ask, Lord, that the words that I speak today are your words and not just mine, that it's your incentive, it's your your call that brings this forward. And it's no, nothing that I'm doing under my own power. I ask, Lord, that you put a special blessing on this service and what I'm about to say and all those that hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me set the stage a little bit. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verse 9 through 22. I'll get there in a bit. But let me set the stage a little bit. Where are we in history right now? What is going on? in Paul's life and in Timothy's life at the time this letter was written. Right now, as 2 Timothy was being written by Paul, he's sitting in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Now, the Mamertine prison is not what we think of as a prison. As, as horrible as that is, this was much, much worse. In effect, the Mamertine prison was a hole in the ground with a manhole cover. And to get to, to put a prisoner into the Mamertine prison, you lowered them down, the, you opened this, this hole, and you lowered them down into this pit with a rope. And then you withdrew the rope. And then you sealed the hole. So it's absolutely dark. There's no ventilation. There's no sanitation. It's incredibly nasty. It reeks. It's, over, it's being overrun by rats. There are there are even been stories of prisoners being eaten alive by rats in the Mamertine prison. So this is where Paul is. Now, if you remember, Paul had already served more than two years of house arrest where he was chained to a Roman guard. But this is different. This is much, much worse. So Paul was in this horrible situation. He, he, he has no ventilation. He has no daylight. He has no communication with anyone outside of the prison except by letter. 
He's not being fed well. And he's living in squalor. So Paul was in utter despair. He throws his hands up and he gives up. Is that what happened? No. Paul writes some of his most moving letters. Paul does the, some of his most important work while he's sitting in the Mamertine prison. He wrote the prison, epistle, the prison epistles, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians, as well as 2 Timothy and Titus while he was in the Mamertine prison. Can you imagine? Do you have that kind of dedication to the gospel that if you were sitting in prison in those conditions that you would still be praising God, that you'd still be worshiping, that you'd still be fighting the good fight and running the race, as Paul said, that you'd be writing some of your best work while you're sitting in that prison. Just think about it. Just try to imagine. Try to put yourself in Paul's place. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy under some of those dire circumstances. How did Paul get here in the first place? Why is he here? Well, remember... Paul is carrying out the mandate of, of, of Jesus Christ in Acts 1.8. He's taking the gospel to Jerusalem and Samaria and all of Jerusalem and Samaria, Judea and Samaria and all of the world. Jesus himself told Paul, take courage for, courage for if you have testified these things about me in Jerusalem, so must you also testify in Rome. And it's Acts 23.11. So this journey that ended up in the Mamertine prison started out years before when Paul was in Rome or in Jerusalem and he was falsely accused of defiling the temple in Jerusalem by bringing a Gentile into it. This stirred a riot from which Paul was rescued by Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers swept Paul away from Jerusalem and took him to Caesarea where he stood before the magistrate and he told his story. And he preached the gospel. But then as the, as the time went on and as events transpired, this, this holy, this divine appointment that Paul had with Rome worked itself through. Paul declared himself, he threw himself at the mercy of Caesar. Being a Roman citizen, he had the right to lay his case before Caesar. And he was shipped off to Rome. Now, if you remember, on the way to Rome, he had a little stopover in Malta as a result of a shipwreck. So there was a series of miracles that transpired between the time that Paul was arrested and the time that he actually arrived in Rome. I wish I had time to go into all that. But Paul ended up landed in Rome. And for two years, he was in house, on house arrest. He was able to rent a, a home. He was able to minister from there. He was able to hold church services in his rented, in his rented home, even though he was chained to, Roman, chained to Roman guards. People came and went. He ministered to his disciples. He wrote scripture. He converted his guards and even many of the household of Caesar himself to Christianity. He carried on some of his best ministry while he was in chains in Rome. At some point, he was released but he stayed in Rome until Emperor Nero's persecution, at which point Paul was rearrested, charged with sedition, and thrown in the maritime prison. The Mamertime. I always want to say maritime. In the maritime prison, because that's where I was. It felt like I was in the maritime prison. But Mamertine prison. 
So there's Paul sitting in jail. And he sees that his time is short. He sees that it's time to pass the torch. He knows the outcome of this persecution. So here's Paul. He's in a Roman prison. And it would lead to his death. Can you see that? Can you feel what's going on in Paul's life? Then on the other hand, who was Timothy? The recipient of this letter. Who was Timothy? Timothy was a young man from Lystra. And he was nothing special. In fact, he was an outcast. His mother, he was a half-breed. His mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. And in that culture, that meant he was neither Greek nor Jewish. It meant that he couldn't sacrifice in the temple. It meant that, that he couldn't go to Hebrew school with all his friends because he wasn't really Jewish. But he wasn't really Greek either. He's rejected and, and he's, he's shunned. He's a nobody until Paul. See, Paul had, had been to Lystra before and established the church. And I can only think that he had noticed Timothy at that time. And Timothy was a very young man. But Paul noticed something different about him, something special about him. And Paul chose him, of all people, to be one of his disciples. And when Paul went to meet Timothy on his second trip to Lystra, he walked more than 75 miles out of his way to meet Timothy, to, 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 to reach Timothy. And he effect said, come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. He was carrying on the mandate of Jesus Christ to build, make disciples. He chose Timothy to be his disciple. Timothy's mother and grandmother were devout, devout Jews. And they were also devout believers. They had been converted at some point, probably soon after Paul's first visit to Lystra. And they taught Timothy well. They taught him to love the scripture. They taught him to, to know the word. They built that love for scripture into Timothy. They built the belief in, in the one true God into Timothy. So Paul chose Timothy as a disciple. And Timothy accompanied Paul. He dropped what he was doing. He gave up his life. He left his comfort zone. He left his mother and his grandmother. And he followed Paul. And he traveled with Paul for many years. And they had, they had a, a, a lot of adventures together. They went through a lot of things together. And it built, the, built this relationship. It made them both stronger. It made Timothy a better disciple. Sitting at the feet of Paul. He accompanied Paul. And, and he traveled with him until he was mature enough. That he could be sent out on his own mission. And eventually... Timothy became the pastor of the church of Ephesus, where he was when Paul sent this letter. So we've got Paul, the great man of God, the church planter, the evangelist, and we've got the young man from Lystra, the devout Christian, Timothy. And we have the combination of their lives in this ministry. And miraculous things happened. So that's where we are. That sets the scene for where we are. So let's look at Second Timothy 4. I'll start in verse 9. 
This is Paul in prison, facing execution, writing to his mentor or to his disciple, Timothy. He said to Timothy, make every effort, effort to come to me soon, for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Now that can be translated two different ways. You can think about this in two different ways. For Demas has deserted me because he loved the present world. There's two ways to think about the phrase, because he loved the world. How did God love the world? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Or was Demas in love with the present age? Was he in love with the world as it is, not as the world as it could be? Was he in love with the pride and the lust and the power and the pleasure? Maybe they got, things got a little bit too tense for him, for Demas. Maybe he abandoned the faith and left Paul in that prison cell. Demas has deserted me, he said, because he loved the present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you. Now, this Mark is probably John Mark. This is probably the John Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. But you remember there was a falling out between Paul and Mark on his first missionary journey. And it, it was so intense that it caused a rift between Paul and his disciple Barnabas. But sometime after that, this relationship was healed and Mark had proved himself faithful. So Paul told Timothy, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Trichius to, to Ephesus. Trichius is the bearer of the, of the message to Timothy. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak I left at Traos with Carpus, as well as the scrolls and especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. Alexander the coppersmith was a, was a false prophet, was a false teacher. He was destroying the true word of, of Jesus Christ and spreading a false gospel. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he has strongly opposed your words, our words. <coughs> Verse 16. At my defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anesphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. And Trop that guy, Trophimus, sick at Malatitis. Make every effort to come before winter. LBS greets you, as does Prudence, Linus, Cledia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Okay, it's a very simple request, isn't it? This is a little news update from Paul to, to Timothy, saying, Here I am, alone, in prison. Many have abandoned me. 
Some have gone back to their old ways and given up the faith. Others have been sent. They've been dispatched. They're on their own ministry, their own, their own ministry journeys. They're, they're pastoring their own churches. They're carrying out the work. The torch has been passed to them. But here I am sitting in jail with only Luke as a companion. So when you come, bring Mark with you because it would be useful for me. But the, he goes on to say to make every effort to come before winter. Why would he say that? Why, why is that important? Because it becomes very, very difficult in that part of the world to travel in the winter because the seas get rough. And travel by sea is, is postponed until spring. And that's how, that's how Paul ended up on Malta, because they didn't pay attention to his warnings about the weather and about the coming winter storms. So it's difficult to travel in that part of the world at that time in the winter months. No matter how Timothy came from Ephesus to Rome, he was going to have to, at least part of his journey was going to have to be by sea. So come before winter means come while you can. Come now. Come before it's impossible for you to come. Come and be my disciple. Come and be with me and serve me while you still can before it's too late. And that's what I'm saying to you, young men. Come before winter. Now is the time to fill the discipleship role that you've been called to because we don't know if you're going to be able to soon. We don't know how much longer your mentors will be able to minister to you and impart the wisdom into you that you need, the, the discipleship that you so desperately need. Now's the time. Don't wait. Come before winter. Winter is coming. And it may be impossible. Now is the time to come. He says, come before winter. He asked him to bring his cloak. He asked Timothy to bring his cloak. Now, Paul is in Rome. And it's a long way from Ephesus to Rome. It's an arduous journey. It's going to take months. And it's going to take Timothy away from his church for possibly years. But he says, he, he remembered a, a, a detail as, as minute as bring my cloak. Now, don't you think Paul could have gotten another cloak? I mean, that wasn't the only cloak. He could have gotten another cloak in Rome. Surely they had cloaks. I mean, he's in the dark, dank hole, and I'm sure he needed the cloak. But don't you think he could have gotten another cloak somewhere, uh, somewhere closer to, to Rome? Somewhere that, that the, the cloak didn't have to be transported across the known world to reach him? Do you really think it was the cloak he was asking for? I think what he was asking for is, Timothy, I want you to bring my cloak. What I really need, Timothy, is you. What I really need is you. Stop by and pick up my cloak on the way. But, but I want you, Timothy. I'm here alone with just Luke, and I need you. I need you to come and minister to me. He was reaching out and calling Timothy into service. So Timothy was the disciple, and disciples have responsibility. So what does it take to be a disciple in the model of Timothy? It takes dedication. Timothy followed Paul. He, gave, he left everything he knew, and he followed Paul. He had no idea the journey he was stepping out into. He had no idea what God had in mind for him 
and what the plan was and, and how it would culminate in Paul passing the torch to him in a Roman prison. He had no idea. He dropped what he was doing and he followed Paul. He dedicated himself to the ministry of Paul. He absorbed his teaching and he mirrored Paul's example. The disciple must be an approved workman that is not ashamed of the gospel. He must live like his mentor. He must be willing to suffer as his mentor does. He must be ready to serve in any way he can whenever called. A disciple has a lot of work to do. If you think being a disciple means sitting back and being fed and just soaking in what your elders have, have in store for you, like it's, like it's the first grade, and your responsibility is just to be there and listen, you're wrong. It takes work, it takes dedication, it takes diligence, it takes suffering, it takes preparation, it takes study. Being a disciple is hard. It means giving up your old life and taking on a new one. It means becoming more like your mentor every day. Discipleship takes work. It takes dedication. It takes love. It takes perseverance. The mentor is called to pour his or her life into you. Can you imagine what it takes to do that? Can you imagine what that costs the mentor to pour themselves into you? You disciples? It's an act of love for the gospel and for you. And it takes patience and it takes long suffering and it takes time and it takes money and it takes spiritual capital. It's exhausting to invest yourself in another person. You pour yourself out until there's nothing left for you. And you hope and pray that you have someone pouring their life into you to replenish that spiritual stock. But it takes dedication on the part of the mentor to, to live that life and to dedicate so much of themselves to you. And it's your responsibility to reciprocate that love and that dedication. Discipleship is not just being a sponge that soaks up the knowledge of your elders. Discipleship is becoming your elders and walking the path that they walked and going through the trials that they went through and getting the experiences that they have had and making them your own so that you can disciple the next generation. It literally is passing the torch from one to another. Your mentor is called to be your spiritual parent. And those of you, those of you parents understand what it means to be a parent and how exhausting it is and how much dedication it takes. It means giving up your life. It means giving up what you would do for the sake of your child, for the sake of your disciple, Discipleship costs something. It costs love and patience and time and service and long-suffering and dedication and respect and willingness. I would venture to say that 90% of discipleship is just showing up and being prepared to do what it takes. If you miss, guys... If you, miss a, if you miss an opportunity to be discipled, shame on you. I know our lives get busy. Our schedules get busy. But if there are discipleship opportunities that are presented for you, presented to you, you must make every effort to take advantage of those, of those responsibilities or of those opportunities. If there is a class that would grow you that you really desperately need, that should become a priority in your life, not just something you work in when you have time. Because we don't know when winter is coming. 
Come before winter means that you must act now while it's still called today. You must get that knowledge. You must hunger for it. You've got to reach for it. You've got to take it when it's offered because it may not come around again. The discipleship opportunity that might have built you into the pastor or the leader of the future may only come around once. And if you miss it, you may have missed your calling. You need to hunger for these things. These needs to become these discipleship opportunities need to become your desire and your priority. It's incumbent on us, the mentors, to provide these opportunities, but it's incumbent on you, the disciple, to take advantage of these opportunities when they're presented. If winter is coming, you don't know if that response, if that opportunity will come again. Discipleship means you're willing to do what it takes to be like your mentor. It means that you're willing to do whatever it takes to serve and to make the trip from Ephesus to Rome, if need be. So what are the disciples' capability? You have to develop the capabilities of, a, of an effective disciple, and it takes work, it takes discipline, and it takes study. To be a disciple in the model of Timothy, you must have the passion to serve as Timothy had. You, have to, you must have the dedication to do what it took, like Timothy did. You've got to have the stick-to-itness that Timothy had. When times got rough, Timothy didn't bail. He stayed at Paul's side and served and did whatever he could. Whatever crisis would or, or whatever was befalling Paul, Timothy became part of it. And if nothing else, he was there with Paul for support. And to show his love. And he helped Paul through those tough times and he learned from it. He watched Paul's reaction. You have to be there when it gets ugly. You have to be well grounded in the scripture. As Timothy was. And you have to be willing to grow beyond your comfort zone. As Timothy did. Because I guarantee you, if you're you're a disciple, you will be stretched. You'll be pulled. You'll be pushed beyond where you think you can go. You'll be handed responsibilities that you don't think you can handle. Your mentor will pull you and stretch you and and make you into his likeness as much as he can while maintaining your own personality. But you are going to be pushed out of your comfort zone. There was a time when standing up here talking to you was not even on the horizon of my comfort zone. My comfort zone was in South Africa compared to standing up here and talking to Talking to, to people. But my mentors got a hold of me and they said, we think you can do this. In fact, we know you can do this. In fact, we think you're called to do this. So kicking and screaming, I'm pulled in and I moved farther and I'm grown and I'm stretched and I'm challenged and I stuck with it. And my comfort zone became God's comfort zone. What I felt comfortable doing became what I was called to do. And that's what a disciple must do. You must be willing to grow. You must be willing to be stretched and pushed beyond where you think it's safe to go. What is a disciple's call? Paul said, come before winter and bring my cloak. Paul didn't want that garment that badly. What he wanted was Timothy. I'm sure he could have saved Timothy the trip. But he wanted Timothy. 
Paul wanted his son, quote, he wanted his son in the, in the gospel, his son in the spirit, his son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, he, he calls Timothy, he says to Timothy, to Tim, Timothy, my true son in the faith. He wanted his son with him in his final hours. So that raises the question, are you a son or daughter in the faith? Do you have a spiritual parent? Is there someone in your life that would, that, that would call you to his or her bedside in their last and final hours? Are you a son and daughter in the faith to someone like Timothy was to Paul? Paul desperately wanted Timothy at his side. That is the call of a disciple. Not just taking what the mentor pours out, but to pass it on and to pass it back. Your call as a disciple is, is the same as expected as a biological son or daughter. Love and respect and obey your parent and carry on his or her legacy. Because the future, guys, belongs to you. I'm looking at a little deck sitting over there. The future of the gospel, the future of the church is in his hands. The future belongs to you. The future of the church and of this church is in your hands. The future of the global church is in your hands. And the torch is being passed. So the question is, are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to carry that torch forward? Are you ready to make your own disciples and carry on the legacy of those that went before you? that built so much of themselves into you? Are you ready? Because if winter comes now, you may not have those, those opportunities. So are you ready? The torch is being passed to you. The question is, what will you do with it? So this is the challenge. I challenge you, young people, to come before winter. There's much that we, the older generation, need to teach you. Come before winter. We, know, we don't know how much time we have left. Come before winter. The future depends on you and how you learn and pass on what has taken us a lifetime to learn. Come before winter. That is your calling. I ask you, I beg you, come before winter and bring my cloak. Let's pray. Lord, this is a challenge and a call. We've all been tasked, we've all been called and given a mission by you to come before winter. To build ourselves to the point where we can carry on the gospel ministry. Everything we do as a Christian church has been passed from generation to generation, starting with the first generation, the original disciples, the original apostles. All that we stand for the word that we love and cherish so much. It all rests on that foundation. Our call to ministry is a ministry that's been passed down by the laying on of hands from the first century to the 21st century. Lord, it's our responsibility to pass that torch to the next generation. It's our responsibility to bring you to light and make you holy, make a next generation holy in your service. 
It's our responsibility. It's the next generation's responsibility to prepare themselves for that calling, to prepare themselves to be that torchbearer for you. So, Lord, I ask that you give thus the mentors, those older in the faith, the power and the vision to pass this, this on to the younger generation. Give us all we need to be effective spokesmen for those that have gone before. Let us build into the lives of these young people. Lord, I ask that you be with those that are being discipled, that they're open and receptive and willing to take all the responsibility that comes with the, with the proclamation of the gospel, that it becomes part of who they are, and they live that out. They become the Timothys that we so desperately need. Lord, I ask that you be with this church and you build a spirit of discipleship into each and every one of us, that you bring it home to us that discipleship is the future of the church. It's not enough to, to create converts. It's not enough to bring people in the door. What we are called to do is send people out from this church, not just bring them in. We're called to build them up, make them disciples and send them out into a world that so desperately needs them. So give us here at this church a spirit of discipleship. I ask that you build it into who we are, that we're disciple makers, and the disciples leave here and carry out your work throughout the world and throughout eternity. I ask that you give a special peace and special power to carry on this ministry. I ask that you be with all those who are here. Give us peace only you can. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.